and welcome everybody to another episode of the ASA show. Uh, I am not Ian. Uh, Ian is not with us today. He's got himself a case of the messy fever with a Wrexham whooping cough. Uh, Ian's a little bit under the weather, so he's not here today. Uh, but I am joined by Harrison, lacking a snazzy nickname, and a guest. Yes, uh, we never have guests, but today we have a guest. Today we are lucky enough to be joined by Nico Silverhull, uh, who was formerly from uh, February 2021 to March of this year, the Director of Recruitment at the Vancouver Whitecaps. Uh, stats bomb, opt, uh, crazy background, I'm sure he'll talk about it himself. Um, and we're going to talk about recruitment, we're going to talk about analytics and MLS, and we're going we're gonna to do some trivia at the end. So uh, Harrison, Nikos, thank you guys for coming on. Thank you for having me, Kieran Narson. Yeah, thanks for uh, taking over uh, uh, hosting duties. I appreciate it. With with no Ian, this this show is rudderless, but you you steer it as a, as if you're an old pro. So this is great. I think the fans miss the nicknames. I think that's that's the key <laughs> one. I did not I did not come up with nicknames. Um, I, I can stick with Highlander. You can stick with Kingmaker. We we're good. It's yeah, Nikos, you don't get a nickname. Uh, today's going to be a little bit of a different show. We'll be a little bit more directed than normal and we won't be talking about two teams uh things are in a weird spot with the remainder of the mls season so we thought it'd be a good time to to bring somebody on and to talk about some questions that we have about recruitment and mls and this is something we talk about at asa a lot where we we look at um we look at all these different ways to make MLS teams better. Like we all, I complain about Toronto all the time because the recruitment is somebody looking at transfer market, looking for Italians. And the idea is that we want our teams to do things to, to win more games. And so uh, it's very cool that we get the opportunity to talk to somebody who's been in, in the room, making the decisions to help teams win more games. So Nikos, why don't you start with telling us a little bit about your background? I'm sure most people listening know who you are or, or have heard of you before seeing you on Twitter or whatever. Uh, but tell us a little bit about kind of how you came to where you are. Yeah, so as you said, I was most recently uh, Director of Recruitment at the Vancouver Whitecaps. Uh, before that, I started my actual football career or like football adjacent career uh, working for Opta. Uh, so I worked with the media customers that Opta had. Uh, at that point, I got a job with uh, Brentford and FC Michelin. So I worked um, as a team analyst for, for them. So I worked on recruitment and uh, set pieces for both of those teams. Uh, then I worked as a sort of independent consultant and with uh, with Ted Knudsen uh, before getting a full-time job at Statsbomb to be their head of technical scouting. So that was basically, I was involved in consultancy. So that, was, that was like primarily recruitment, but also like managerial uh, scouting, things of that nature. Um, and at some point, uh, I got a, an email from Axel Schuster, who I did not know at the time, uh, and he invited me to uh, join Vancouver. So basically, uh, this was during the pandemic, so it took a little bit of time for me to actually start that job. But uh, I did that, uh, moved to Vancouver uh, at the start of uh, 2021, and did that for about two years. Nice. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, it's funny because you have all kind of the key names that people know in the data space. There's the Opta, and there's the Stats Bomb, and then finding your way to a club. So it's it's always interesting to hear kind of the background. Um, so obviously uh, we we can talk about some things and can talk about certain things. So I, I think 
the biggest questions that that we have are kind of we don't get to speak to people who can pull back the curtain so often and i guess my my first question right away is kind of what what does data-driven recruitment look like how are how are clubs using data in their recruitment space how are you using data in the recruitment space uh yeah so let me like zoom out a little bit and like ask this basically what you're asking is so like how should teams like do recruitment yeah like not, yeah not that's probably a better question not specifically like the the data driven part because like you need like a sort of a global idea on how to to go about doing that um so the way that i would approach this is like okay what like you're trying with every transfer that you make you are trying to sort of fix or address a problem within your team like relative to the goals that you've outlined um and then let's think about okay so if this is our goal like short-term and long-term, this is the problem that we're trying to fix. What kind of players, what kind of transfers uh, do we need to do to address those problems or needs? Uh, like what are the specific metrics uh, that you would look at to solve a particular problem? And so you basically start with like, what are we trying to accomplish? What do we need to accomplish that? Uh, how do we find the players that can accomplish set goals? So that's roughly the outline of how I would think about doing that. And so, okay, so it's a lot of trying to find, first you need to figure out what shape puzzle piece you need before you keep, can even go looking for puzzle pieces. Uh, I guess kind of a, a thing that I always wonder about is like, you you hear the the big one that people say in terms of using data and using analytics to solve those problems is like narrowing searches um but i guess do you can you also use data to to identify the holes that you have is that a big part of the, the process as well yeah absolutely like you can again like this is the top level it's like the very obvious ones are of course like like XG and XG against are like very like very obvious starting points. Like what is the side of the ball that we need the most help on? Uh, but then again, like you can drill down into that. Like let's say you don't score enough. That's the like the top level conclusion. Okay, why don't you score enough? Like is it uh, you don't get the ball into the box? So that, that would imply that maybe you need to solve a problem like in your midfield rather than up top. Whereas if you constantly get into the box but you don't create anything probably what you'll be talking about is maybe like more creative players uh so again like it's really like drilling down into like subsects what is the actual problem and you can as you say can get as detailed as you need to uh and again like this what is the problem that you're trying to fix and like get that to as detailed a level as possible and obviously like you can get a lot more granular than i just outlined but like broadly speaking like that is how you would go about. Yeah. So there... broadly speaking, oh, go ahead, Kieran. I'm no, sorry. no, go ahead, Harrison. I, I just was going to ask. So broadly speaking, uh, when you talk about puzzle pieces and you talk about like what the picture looks like, who sets that picture? Who sets the? This is how we're going to look like. Is that a? Is that it? Usually, when, when you're talking about from an organizational standpoint, is that one person or is that a cumulative uh, approach? Uh, that sort of differs from organization to organization. Like there's definitely uh, teams in MLS that like deliberately let the coach decide that to a very high degree. Um, there are also teams that have like a very clear like organizational identity. Like 
like the New York Red Bulls. Uh, like if you go, if you become the coach of the New York Red Bulls and you say, listen, all that pressing stuff, I don't think that's for me. <laughs> uh, like that's not gonna work. Sure. <laughs> yeah, uh, right. <laughs> yeah, but like there are teams where, um, where like the the sort of the uh, the overall playing style and the overall strategy is like very much set by the manager. So they're like fairly large swings uh, from manager to manager, uh, which I that's personally not a framework that I think is very helpful uh, because what happens very quickly is that you get uh, a mismatch of like you get essentially a squad that's been created with like three different ideas in about two and a half years. Yeah, um, tell tell me about it. <laughs> tell me about it. Um, yeah, it, it's it's interesting you say that in terms of the the setting, kind of the overall structure and the overall direction of things. Is that is that? And again, I, I don't want to put you on the spot. Is that something that like? sometimes can clash where like there's a coach who is not aligned but you might still think they're a good coach and you want to keep them around or uh is it maybe in recruitment is seeing a different thing than gm than the gm like is that a thing that happens i mean it would be very strange if that never happened because like they're all like different people who have different ideas on things like it would be it would probably be very unhealthy if everyone agreed with everyone else all the time. We, we, we uh, love Red like, Bull. We all love Red Bull. <laughs> for for instance, uh, no, but like uh, as a more general thing, like there is always an inherent tension between like the head coach and the front office, which is not a bad thing. Because like that's that goes into like a larger question of like what are you trying to be? Like are you trying to win now or are you trying to win in the future? Uh, and the head coach, like it is pretty much by definition his or her job to win now. Like you can't be talking about like oh you know we I will make as a head coach decisions that's gonna, that are going to pay off in like eighteen months because odds are you won't be around in eighteen months. Whereas for like uh, a GM, that is at like the timeline that you're working on. You're trying to win the next two to three years rather than the next two to three games. That's not a conflict. That's not a problem. But there is an inherent tension in that. Yeah. It's, so it's a, I, I think Darren Mori has said like a few times. Like his role is maximizing championship win probability over a three-year window, where he's like, every move I am making is how much win probability do I add over three years? Yes. Um, so it's it's yeah, it's quite interesting. And I think MLS is a very unique space because MLS is so behind is not the right word, but MLS is so unique compared to other leagues in terms of I think the role of like the manager who runs everything at the club is quite uncommon. Maybe at, at the top levels of European soccer, at least in England, there are very few people that I think hold a role like that these days. Um, it, it's it's such a weird place where like I've seen in Toronto where like you have Bob Bradley gets the head coach and is the GM. Like that's a lot. Um, but you see someone like Seattle Harrison, like, like what Harrison, what have would you say you enjoy those separation of responsibilities between Schmetzer and and Lagerway before? 
Yeah. And, and, you know, it's not just logger way, but it's also, you know, your scouting director as well. You know, Chris Henderson owned a huge piece of that as well. So you look back and you think about the dynamic. It wasn't just uh, one or two people. You, you think it's, it was more of a uh, democratic uh, approach. Um, but I think that's probably even a little bit generous. There's probably a lot more uh, tighter control than probably we I'm giving it credit for. But yeah. Um, I am kind of curious if we could kind of uh, walk back a couple of steps uh, to something you said about, you know, teams having uh, the approach of, you know, you build toward with one co- uh, coach's idea and mentality of a roster and then you build to another coach and you know 18 months down the road you have three different generations of uh of players sitting on a roster i'm just curious how would you specifically kind of approach that from a recruitment standpoint and how much um how challenging is that from your position and what are what are ways that you can kind of finesse that oh I mean, like that, that depends, of course, on like what the exact job is that I have in this scenario. Like, if I'm yeah, recruitment, like you work within the the structure that exists, whatever that structure is. Whereas that's if, fair. Um, whereas I, I would be a GM. Like, obviously, I would have more of a set idea about we are going to do this style of play. Uh, you recruit the coach based on that style of play. You talk with the owner about like what is the overall strategy that we're trying to achieve, because of course that also impacts the coaching hires. That depends the that that, that impacts the sort of scouting that you do, the timeline that you're working on. Uh, so that's that's how I would approach. Like I've, I'm very strong believer in a sort of an organizational, uh, an organization first approach rather than like a coach led process. And I have to say that um, like. Fanny Sartini in Vancouver is very, very good with this. Like he is uh, probably among the better coaches who like, because he understands this type of uh, structure very, very well. Shout out, shout out Vanny and, and his, uh, <laughs> I think he had a sweat of it, just said Andiamo. <laughs> yeah, Fanny also has an entire catalog of uh, uh, like, I think fan created shorts. Very, very cool. <laughs> so I, I think one thing, there was a, a really cool uh, piece that came out a few years ago from a law firm whose law firm I cannot remember that was like profiling what the legal side of a transfer works looks like it was like a fake Brazilian player moving to England from Brazil or something and I always found it really really cool to read and I think something a lot of people don't know and want to know about is like what does a transfer look like from the inside so you Nikos work for fictional FC and I should probably rebrand yeah, the image probably rebound. Yeah. Uh, what what does the transfer look like from finding the target to kind of finding the price and, and bringing them in? What does that process look like? I mean, at some point, like you, you have like a short list uh, at that point. Like, let's say, let's say for the sake of argument, it's like three people, three players that you want for a position. At that point, you will have made contact with the agent in an earlier, uh, earlier phase. Like you will know at that point, like does this player theoretically want to come? Like, what are we talking about? Like roughly in terms of salary expectations, um, like potential transfer fee if there is one. Uh, so at that point, you you probably already have like a pretty clear idea of what, what the various uh, things would cost, various options. Uh, like 
you will talk at that point to like uh, the head coach as well. Like, look, these are the three options that we have. Um, what do you think? That's how, like you're discussing with the owner because it's often going to be the owner's money. Uh, so you you have, I mean, this makes a lot of sense, like particularly for designated players that the owner has to give your, his or her okay. Uh, and yeah, so that's where you start. Uh, obviously, you will have to, in the context of MLS, you will have done like salary cap, uh, like calculations, things of that nature. Uh, and in the context of MLS, like the actual, often like interchange of like offers is done via the league office, which is obviously an unusual uh, construction relative to other leagues. Uh, so yeah, that happened. Like it's like the lawyer, your own lawyers that draw up contracts, or like front office people that make corrections. Because uh, I think there's like multiple elements to a actual offer. There's like the legal stuff and just like the the money, um, which then gets like sent around, uh, and then you will get a return offer. Like I actually think that uh, maybe we should get a twenty percent uh, sell on instead of a fifteen percent. So it's like at that point you get like that level of of granularity in in the deal, and then you'd go oh well in our salary cap we can do this bonus but maybe not that one and also MLS regulations forbid us from offering this exact thing. Uh, like MLS MLS is obviously a very like regulated league and there there are very hard rules on like what type of like bonuses and add-ons you can add in a, in a deal or in a trade. Uh, so that's roughly how sort of an end stage of a deal would look like who handles like the salary cap portion from the recruitment standpoint is that something that you'd be involved with or or not generally is that something speaking, more that's gm sorry so yet no generally speaking uh like clubs have designated salary cap experts um uh, like we have that in vancouver uh like there's often the job of those people like specifically to manage that element uh, and also, like th- those people will also like do a lot of trade talks sometimes, or like budgetary meetings for like departments, because obviously that's a skill that's fairly like translatable. Organizing a budget for a department and handling a salary cap—that's like roughly the same skill. Uh, so, like the way that it, recruitment would work, that like you have an expert who deals with that specifically, and of course, then everyone else is aware of like the broad situation like what where is our flexibility what types of stuff can we do but as you get to like very very granular like decision makings decision making like you have to talk to the specific expert for situations like that like it is a very very difficult thing in the context of mls and like that's why there's like specifically people whose job it is to deal with that so you so from a scouting and recruitment uh perspective and I apologize if I'm if I'm absolutely butchering the those two and those are two you know separate entities I kind of I guess in my mind I look at scouting and recruitment kind of hand in hand is that is that not accurate or I mean it is but like um like it's like an an overall process that and certain people have certain roles within that process That makes sense and obviously yeah. How those things are split uh, is, of course, like uh, different from specific organization to organization. Like in some people, you will have a salary cap expert who is essentially an analyst uh, and not like uh, an executive type person uh, that can exist. Uh, and in, in which case, like obviously, the actual job that he does 
will be different than if that person is an actual like senior executive. Various like models for that exist in MLS. And one last question, and I'll let you know. I don't mean to dominate this. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> how much? Uh, how much uh, do you, as uh, within the scope of recruitment, deal with agents? And is that something that you deal with, or is that something that somebody else and somebody else's department would deal with? Uh, no, in within the context of Vancouver, uh, I would often be the first point of contact, um, with the exception of agents that other members of our organization had a pre-existing relationship. So like a very simple example in the context of Vancouver, like obviously the director of football is German. So like it would be a bit weird if I started like having the majority of conversations with German agents, like Axel <laughs> sure. has worked with those people for like 20 years. So obviously <laughs> he is a very obvious point of contact. Uh, like in the yeah, same way, like, like uh, for instance, like when we talk to Charlotte about potential trades, like they have a lot of Dutch people. So it, I am the very obvious person to have talked to them in that uh, situation. Nice. Is like if uh, director of recruitment, again, like that is uh, like a lot of those roles like differ from organization to organization. You have people whose job really is just like essentially director of scouting. Their job is player evaluation. That as opposed to like being more involved in like the actual recruitment as distinct from just player evaluation. Does that make sense? So I guess one, talk to me about agents, because I think there's this perception in the fanalytics, and I want to very, very much enunciate the F, the fanalytics sphere, that like agents in your recruitment process are bad. And I think it's perhaps important to, to, talk about what role they play because i think there are very much two two sides of that coin right where if you're like the la galaxy for example where the if you listen to the rumors it's agents come and they just that's it that's their whole process is agents um versus other clubs where agents are only part of it talk about what what role they play in the recruitment process well the i think the the main benefit of this like as you said like if you're process is very much agent-led that is obviously a problem at the same time if you have like a robust evaluation process it doesn't really matter where like the player originally comes from like if a, if an agent recommends you a player so like listen i know how you play and obviously this would happen if you trust the agent if you know that this agent is actually smart and like on the level uh he, he could recommend the player listen i know this is what you're looking for i know this is the market condition the market, like the situation in for that player, is like he's available for roughly this amount, which an agent will know more about than like a club employee. Uh, so that's very obvious. Uh, that that is obviously a very important element of like things that an agent can bring in that are very very difficult sometimes for club employees. Like what is the player asking for in terms of salary? Um, like what do you, what is the financial situation of a the of the selling club? Like it's possible that an agent who has dealt with that club has more information about that than you could possibly have. And that's actually really important because if you know that a team has like a little bit more financial difficulty, maybe, then, then it's publicly known. Okay, well, then the asking price uh, is going to have to drop. Like things like that. And again, like if, like if you just 
listen to if an agent says you sign this player and you sign that player without like really uh, having a robust evaluation process, yeah, then that is a problem. But if the process is strong enough, like it doesn't really matter where the original where the player originally comes from, if it's an agent or like you went through some data or one of your scouts saw him at a youth tournament, like that is essentially the same. The process then continues in the exact same way. So that's fine. Interesting. So so talk to me about that of the evaluation side of the coin. Is that you're sending people to go watch this player? Is that you pouring through spreadsheets and stats bomb data? What does that look like? Uh, well, it's all of it, really. Like, basically, the goal of the evaluation process is to create as much information of as high a quality as possible um, so that you can give um, like the best advice that you can possibly give to, this, to the decision makers. Like, both analytics and scouting are essentially advisory jobs. Like, my, my signature was not on any of the contracts for player transfers. Like, my job was to advise. Um, so that is the goal, to give as complete a picture as possible of, of as high a quality as possible. So how do you do that? So that, that includes like a lot of video scouting, uh, a lot of uh, like analytics-based things. You work with the data science group to get uh, like higher fidelity of more like more specific information. Uh, you would do, again, like I said, the financial information is obviously relevant. Um, you would do some background uh research on on players that like because you want to know like what is this player actually like in the locker room or on the pitch and like there's definitely players that went to other mls teams while i was in vancouver that we looked at that we thought were interesting as players but that we were rejected based on like strong character concerns that i should say then subsequently did in fact play out at those other teams um, so like that is a, a thing that, that we placed a priority or uh, that was a priority for us. And like, that's something that I believe in very strongly. Well, I, I will not ask you to name names, but no, because uh, I listen, wouldn't, I wouldn't tell them. Listeners feel free <laughs> to speculate. Um, it, so it, it, it's, it's quite fun. Uh, I think I, one of, go, go ahead, Harrison. Yeah, I, I just was going to ask in, in terms of uh in terms most people look at people that are in recruitment or and especially you say data and stuff like that and you talk a lot about um kind of coming up with uh you know your you your points of how you want to evaluate um i'm sure a lot of that's done from um from a data perspective pouring through data like what we was just talked about um how much of that and what exactly are you looking for when it comes to to video how how do you kind of uh parlay the data aspect of it and identifying some of these players and what you're looking for are you actually going and looking at some of this some of the data are you going on site and looking for and how does that kind of uh kind of reveal itself well uh i mean we like that's all the question of like, how do you like relate data to video? And like, and sometimes you get the question of like, oh, how much is data and how much is video for like, right. other, other and I, my answer to that is always, it's hundred percent data and hundred percent like scouting. Absolutely. Like, yeah, because the goal is to create as much information as possible. Um, so it's like, okay, 
what type of things do we want to know that are maybe a little bit difficult to get through data? That's one aspect. And also just like we want to rely on the expertise of the scouts uh, to give a point of view. Like the, I sort of see the the core of the like head of scouting or head of scouting adjacent roles as like collecting all the information possible, weighing that, and then sort of delivering a judgment. Like that to me is the core of the job. Um, so let's just like like the, that is sort of the the trick to the job. It's like figuring out how you can best get information out of your scouts. Like, what is it that you actually care about? Like how, the, and this goes like also into like, how do you structure the scouting reports? Like what type of things do you force the, the scouts to report essentially? Uh, like what, and again, that goes into like, what is relevant to uh, what we're doing? Like, what are the problems that we're trying to fix? And what do we need to look at uh, and via a variety of sources uh, that can help, that can best help us answer those questions. No, I, I appreciate that answer because I, it was pr- vague, and I'm not trying to nail you down. Like, how do you judge dribbling and and stuff oh, like right, that, okay. right? Uh, and so you you answered it perfectly. Uh, the other side of it is that I think again, going back to the fan analytics, the the fans, I think they see people that sit in your position. Um, <laughs> they hear people like me, and they think of nerds that look at computer sheets all day. And I definitely want to convey, and, and I'm really happy of some of the key points that you talked about was integrating with that scout or with with those that are actually seeing stuff and trying to uh, give them um, the proper tools to help determine what they're seeing and and, uh, the judgment to kind of combine what you're seeing with the, with those various reports. Um, because yeah, you said, you said it hundred percent data, hundred percent video. And I, I think that that's awesome. I, I think that that's the way it should be. And I think that too, I, I, I think there's a weird meme that goes on about data in, in that, uh, context. So Kieran, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off again. No, no, you're 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 all good. There was a really cool piece in the Athletic this week uh, by John Muller about Ravi and Sarah, uh, Ravi Remanani and, and Sarah Rudd at Source Football with their new consultancy that I would highly recommend people check out. Um, they they give a really cool story about um, Houston kind of putting together their needs from a video perspective and from a data perspective for someone to run in behind, which is what brought them Ibrahim Aliyah, which I thought was a really cool story that I'm sure you. you you were like, yep, yeah, I, I totally see it. Um, yeah. So i i don't want to I don't want to go super super long today, and we have a few other things to talk about. But I think people get into this. It's a common question in analytics, and the answer is almost always tracking data. Is like, where where is the field going? How is how are things changing? What's what's kind of the equivalent question or the equivalent answer for recruitment? Like, how is recruitment changing? Where is recruitment going? Uh, I mean, that's a, that's a very difficult question to answer because presumably it depends also on like which organization you're in. Um, like, I, I do think that teams on the whole are are getting smarter. Uh, analytics is a part of that. Uh, like, you see more and more like specialization. Like, one thing that I think is very noticeable if you look at like uh like job listings is that more and more which is, that's always a good way to sort of look at to look at to see where things are going uh because like people are hiring for specific things 
Um, so it's like one thing that you notice pretty obviously is that a lot of like position specific scouts are being hired uh, by Premier League teams because first they have the budget to do that. That is, I think, a, a clear departure. Obviously, that's something that existed for goalkeepers all the time, uh, but has, I think, moved into like other like like lines, the defensive lines, midfielders, attackers. That is something that is that is happening. Um, so further specialization. And I think what that means, if there is further specialization, there's also a greater need for generalists because if there is like a lot of specialization, the need to translate between those specialists is actually a lot more important. So that is, I think, a sort of uh, a dynamic that is at play right now. I think that's a really cool thing that we've seen in the past couple of years um, is that soccer clubs are are hiring a lot more of those translators. Like you see it now with like the coach analyst hybrids who are like, you're a coach, but you can write a little bit of Python as well. And you're going to sit, you're going to have a desk in both offices or whatever. Uh, so it's cool to hear that recruitment is, is kind of approaching similar things. Um, so one game that we play often in our group chats and, and we talk about, and it's, it's like the favorite thing to think about, I think, as MLS fans, is fictional FC calls you up. Don Garber just called them and said, you've won an expansion bid. You have carte blanche. You can build whatever team you want. I'm going to give you a soapbox, and you tell me what's go wild. How would you build a team in your ideal perfect world in MLS with our okay. weird roster constraints? Okay. Well, the, the question isn't actually that different for like an expansion team as opposed to like a, a pre-existing team. The answer is probably the same. Like you would talk to the owner. Um, like what is it that you actually want to do? Like fundamentally, what is your goal? Do you want to build a contender? Uh, do you want to sell players? Um, do you have a preference with regards to playing style? Um, like those are the, like the broad parameters that you want to know. Obviously, all of that is also impacted by the location that you're in and the market. Like to phrase it very simply, you would do different things in Las Vegas than you would do in Indianapolis for obvious reasons. Uh, so you take all of that into account. Um, then you, okay, you you set out the playing style. Then you think, okay, this, I would be inclined to play like a very attacking minded thing. Also, assuming that there is an element of player sales. Again, if you want to sell players, you should play an attacking style of play because attackers are the players that you can sell for the most money, for the most profit. And those get more valuable based on the amount of goals they score and assists they give. Basically, if you want to sell players, winning 5-4 is better than 1-0. Um, so I would do that as much as possible. And then you think, okay, what are the uh, what do I need in every department to achieve those goals? Uh, and let's assume we want to win, but we want to be young. Okay, uh, I hire a coach who's comfortable playing young players. Uh, I get an assistant coach, for instance, uh, who is specialized in individual development, because that's obviously going to be an important part of any team that wants to sell players. Uh, and again, you do the same thing with like head of scouting. Um, you think about, and this is a thing that we did at Brentford and FC Michelin. Um, this is another thing how, how you can use data. You think about like how you want to sort of encourage behavior that fits the strategy, for instance, in your head coach. And that can go down to the level of like, what are the types of bonuses you put in the coach's contract? Like, let's say you want to be a very young team. 
okay, well, you put a bonus into the coach's contract that if you are like a bottom three team in terms of youth, so you are one of the three youngest teams, you get this amount. And again, like this is another thing like, these are our strategies. This is what we want to accomplish. How can we measure that? And how can we encourage uh, the people in our organization to actually live up to that strategy? And then you drill down, okay, so I want to play like this. Okay, what do we need to be able to play that playing style? If we want to be a contender in uh, year three, okay, what do we need? What can we go young? Uh, where do what are the markets that we are going to target? Uh, what are the markets that make sense for our city and our and and for our region? Like things like that. So you start very clearly with like these are our goals. Everything starts with realistic goal setting, and then the next step is strategy. How are we going to accomplish those goals? And then you just drill down further and further and further into every department. Like what do you need to achieve those goals? So that's, and again, like those goals you set in like conversation with the owner, um, ownership group, things like that. So that's roughly how you would do it from like a very, very, very top down sort of approach. It's, it's cool that you mentioned the bonus thing. I think I remember reading that one of Brentford and Midgeland had like a set, a team set piece goal bonus or something like that. That's right. Yes. Um, And I can't remember if this was Brentford Midgeland or somebody else. Midgeland. But somebody looking at, um, they were like, how do we handle striker goal bonuses? Because you don't really care who scores the goals. You want the team to score the goals. Yes. And and do you set, if the team scores this many goals, you get this goal bonus or whatever instead, which I thought was quite interesting. Yeah, I think uh, uh, definitely Midtjylland, probably also Brentford, with like a, a sort of a, a goal difference bonus based on like essentially plus minus bonus. Like if you were on the pitch, this is the goal difference uh, hmm. based on, I mean, there are some, some that by the way is also, if you want to sell players, that's, that also works because this is something that AS Monaco, Monaco did. Like, I don't know if you remember this, like a couple of years ago, uh, Monaco like regularly, like had like massive blowouts in Ligue So they would win like six nil, seven nil because they would keep playing for the win even when they were like 3-0 up with like 30 minutes left to play. Every other team would just stop playing and rest. But Monaco, realizing that they need to sell players, uh, would they keep attacking so that they would run up the score. Their attacking players would score more goals and they would be able to sell them for more money. Interesting. I guess so that's that. also another thing of like, what is it that we want to do? How can we accomplish that? Uh, and like there are a couple of uh, French teams who do this very cleverly. No, it, it's cool because I think we, I think people talk about this with players a lot, right? Like, how do we incentivize the behaviors we want to get it on the pitch, right? Like, you talk about, um, there was like a famous example with the Raptors a few years ago where like the coach put, made shots from the mid range worth negative one in training so that threes were still worth three, everything inside the key was worth two, and at the rim was worth two, but mid range shots were worth negative one. It is, you will make your team lose if you take them in practice. Um, and we've heard about teams painting pitches with, with different colors or whatever for different value on shots. So I, it's cool to think about how you can do the exact same thing with coaches or with staff or with, um, 
with whatever. So that's that I think is quite cool. Yeah, but also like the the example that you give of uh, of the Raptors, like obviously that comes from having a clear idea about what you want to do on the court or on the pitch. Like if that doesn't pre-exist, you can never do like exercises in training like that. Um, so it's like, again, like what is it that you want to accomplish and how can we sort of um, create situations both for like coaches, front office people, players to encourage that behavior. So everything basically starts with strategy and like goal setting. And and having people I, who are who are bought into that is really helpful. Like, I think we've we've seen with Liverpool where like when you have someone who is there for a long time and is also willing to learn, like you can invest quite a bit of institutional knowledge into them as well, which I think is is a really interesting yes um, setup as well. Harrison, what were you going to say? I, I have one last question for you, uh, Nikos, and that's just more uh, in the vein of looking at where how you've progressed in your career professionally um over the next 10 years how would you suggest uh people that want to follow your pattern and they want to go from a public side to a private side what do they need to do to to start getting their careers ready i mean we see a lot of people at asa that we recruit from you know they're a lot of them are freshmen in college or they're just entering their last year of high school um what are what can these uh young men young women do to prepare themselves i mean my my path was very unconventional so i, I oh for I, sure for sure so i don't I, <laughs> I don't think you should participate in a lot of like philosophy seminars in college uh that i would not give that as advice but that is what i did um so that suggests to me that maybe i'm not the, the best person to ask this question to um but like as a more general comment like uh like i can maybe give a theoretical answer rather than a practical one um like the thing that you need to have, and this is not just for this particular job, just in general, like what you want is to have a skill set. And it's a skill set rather than like one identifiable skill often that is rare and valuable. Uh, whatever that means for, for like, and that depends on like your, your specific background. Like for me, like the way that I sort of try to sell myself is that I have a background in like analytics or analytics adjacent also do like video scouting you can also think strategically like i can prove that all that's true about me i'm also aware that that is not like a very frequent combination of things so that is sort of how i would answer that question for myself uh what that question or what the answer to that question is for any other person is like i like i can't answer that and the path that they would have to take also depends on that so it's very very hard for me to answer that question but like if you want to get hired I think you should always try to flip that question and go, why should people hire me? And if you can't have an answer, if you don't have an answer to that, you should probably do something to change that. Well, and I really like what you said earlier about the idea of generalists, right? And having that type of knowledge. And I think that's something that we're uh, contributing to public analytics and, and putting forth uh, something and contributing to kind of the uh, the system as a whole um, that we try to produce and try to all look at um, within this community. I, I think the more that you can kind of dive into and, and develop and contribute, um, helps make you a more well-rounded person and just 
diving into those generalist skills. So thank you. Appreciate the answer. Thank you. Okay. Uh, Harrison, unless you've got any other questions, Nikos, you have listened to our pod before. Is that correct? That is correct. You will be aware then that there is a trivia section. Would I, you like I, to participate in our trivia? I mean, I, I think I have to. I do think you have to. Yeah. Uh, as the guest, I will. I like how you me. gave him a question. You gave him the question. It was like, do you want to participate? And then immediately went, you have to. It's yeah. not a yes or no. You no, I was, I was very aware that there was only one correct answer to that question. Yeah. <laughs> um, so as you know, six questions, uh, three each, two points if you get it right on your own question, one point if you steal. Because as the guest, I will give you first choice of questions. Harrison, your honor is on the line. So Nikos, one to six, which question would you like? I would like question number four, please. Alrighty. Question number four. With the sale of Georgi Petrovic to Chelsea and Matt Turner leaving last summer to Arsenal for, or and then Nottingham Forest, uh, the goalkeeper of the year race is presumptively wide open this year. How many former winners are still active in MLS? Oh, boy. It's a tough one. Former goalkeeper right. of the year winners still active in MLS. So Andre Blake has won it a bunch of times. So that's one. Oh, might just be him. Is it just him? Did Sean Johnson not win it once? I'm going to go two. Two is my final answer. I'm locking in two. Two is not correct. Harrison, would you like to steal? I, I think it might be. Four, Stephen Fry still, Andre Blake, who you got. I don't think Sean Johnson, uh, he may have won it, but I don't remember. And there's another person that I'm missing. I'm going to guess four. I'm locked in at four. That is also incorrect. The answer is three. Uh, Andre Blake has won. Brad Guzon won one with Chivas USA in 2007. And Tim Oh, Yeah, I know that Stephen Fry never won it. Yeah, Stephen Fry Stephen never won Fry, I thought he got one when he was having a down season. I thought that he, he won one, then we no, didn't that's, agree that's with. Andre, Andre Blake won one the year he was like statistically oh. the worst goalkeeper. Oh, believe me. Believe <laughs> me, I know about Andre Blake. I... Yeah, three. Mr. I was Blake and I... There's also Bill okay. Hamid, who's currently a free agent. Uh, and I don't know. I don't know. We're clearly on them. All right, Harrison, you are up uh, one through six, except for number four. Three. Uh, okay. The yet-to-be-named San Diego MLS team will join the league in 2025 after beating out a Las Vegas-based bid for MLS Team 30. The prospective Las Vegas owners also own two European soccer teams. Name either of them. And I will say they are both top eight leagues. And not the same league. That's that's a real focused look you got, Harrison. If I don't move, do you think that my free, <laughs> my screen froze? Uh, uh, Las Vegas, holy smokes! Um, honestly, I I I don't even remember the the organization that was that was led. Um. Uh, two teams. Uh, just have to name one. Just one. Uh, I'm gonna have to push you though. 
You said top eight leagues? Yeah. This feels like Russia. I feel like that, like... I, I, I didn't... <laughs> okay. Like, this this felt like, like, like what is it? Ruben Byron. Kazak? Ruben Kazak, yeah. sure. No, it was not Ruben Kazak. <laughs> I, I do not think MLS would be very receptive to Russian investment right now. Uh, <laughs> he, he goes, uh, do you have a guest to steal? I want to say Crystal Palace. It is not Crystal Palace. Crystal Palace is on his own... Uh, Arsenal. Uh right, these yeah. these guys, it's Wes Edens who owns the Bucks and also owns Aston Villa and Vitoria Guimarães in Portugal. Are the two teams. Right, okay. Aston Villa. Okay. Yes. I also did not know this. So it was good learnings. Nikos, you're up. Uh every question but three or four is on the board. Oh, I'm gonna go question number one. And I think if we keep playing, we'll get one right eventually. <laughs> Alrighty, so Messi has put up a whopping 1.04 G-plus above average in his 234 MLS minutes. Uh, exactly one Inter-Miami player has that beat for the entire season. Who is that player? Is it just Leonardo Campana? It is not Campana. Harrison, you can steal. You say G-plus or XG? G plus, G plus. One uh, four above average. So not a whopping total. Miami's G plus this year, not great. Uh it's not somebody we think of. It's not somebody that's that's well known. It's uh oh goodness gracious. Uh Robert Taylor, I don't know. Uh no, it's Gene Mota. The defensive there it is. Yeah. I knew it was a midfielder. Ah, 835 minutes or something like that. And like one. Yeah, because one. He hurt himself and then went down. And now he's back. Is he back? Is he back in playing? I feel like he was in training no. No. a couple weeks ago. Injury. Yeah. It was a season ending injury, but he's back. He was back in training. His was like the foot. Maybe that was Gregory who's back already. I don't know. Oh, is that Gregor? I thought Moto was as well. Okay. Harrison, you're up two, five, or six. Give me two. Already, um, by some quirk of national identity, uh, three of the top four players in fouls drawn are Uruguayan in Ladero, Santi Rodriguez, and Cesar Araujo. Name the fourth player. The hint I will give you is that they play a position you would not expect to get fouled very much. It's defender. Um, goodness gracious. Uh, I have no idea. I have no idea. I can't even think of a defender who ranks high up, but I'm almost positive it's a center back. Um, Nikos, you got a call? I'll give it off to you. I'm very glad that you did. Um, oh, is it, oh is this it is where you don't call me. Or total? total fouls the whole season. Okay, not that that matters because I don't have an idea regardless. Um, so that was an entirely irrelevant Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I don't know. I'm going to give you both a hint and say that I know this player in real life. I don't know your social life. That doesn't help me. Yeah, at but all. think about <laughs> my me and where I live and what that could possibly entail. Someone who is vaguely my age, who may or may not have lived or played in Toronto, and gets fouled a lot. We've got to get one, guys. 
Yeah, I don't think it's got to be this one. Uh, uh, he made a move in this window that we just had. This is where Ian would dunk. This is where Ian would just come in from the top. It's not Mark Anthony K. They are a fullback who moved in this window. Okay, so that's... That that does narrow it down, but doesn't actually help. It's a Canadian fullback who moved in this window. Is it Richie Larea? It is Richie Larea. Okay, awesome. (laughs) How is... What? He's yeah. fourth. Oh, he gets he's third. He gets fouled so much. Third. Oh, I thought there was three Uruguayans in front of. Okay, no, cool. he's at the yeah. top four. Of that, 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 oh, okay, gotcha. I mean, All right, well, that doesn't change my answer. No, yeah, not. no, not in any way. <laughs> I just if if I said he was third, I think you guys both would have gotten it on the first thing. No, for sure, for sure. Uh, yeah. Okay, question number five, and I'm now realizing I didn't write a six question, so this is our last question. Um, I'm gonna call it nil nil because I'm not I'm not giving anyone points, but I think you'll get it here. Uh this is a remember that guy question though. So there are plenty of hints oh, on the board. No. Um so this eventual MLS player was purchased by Marseille in 2005 as a replacement for Didier Drogba. Ah, uh... Okay, it's just the first hint. It's early days. You might want to throw a Liga player's name out there around 2005. You might be keeping your cards close to your chest if you don't know the name yet. This one's a deep cut. I'll be happy if one of you gets it. Okay, I almost certainly will not. And I definitely need at least one more hint. Oh, there's yeah, I'm going to need one. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm good with another. Okay, long before the arrival of Sovereign Wealth, uh during their first season of playing at the club i would say they're most known for psg uh this player scored three goals against le mans to lose and not to keep them in liga and avoid relegation in 2006 2007 played for marseille i'm I'm not gonna lie i in those days i did skip the occasional league <laughs> <laughs> but played in that era eventually played in mls just i'm priming the brain here all right clue number three six-time french international uh forward attacking midfielder spent two seasons and almost 60 appearances with the new york red bulls in 2013 2014 french 2010s red bull yeah if terry Henry definitely played for france only six times uh, well, I mean, <laughs> also definitely most known for playing for Paris Saint Germain. Yes, also true. Yeah. Oh, I'm, this is very embarrassing. I'm drawing a complete blank on this. Okay, well, it's a deep French, cut. French Red Bulls. I li- I will say to find this player, I literally googled random MLS player, and it was the first tweet that came up. Uh, so, so, uh, not any. But he way. played for he played for Montreal. As no, no, the Red Bull, the Red Bull. Oh, played for. Marseille. I thought he was. Did, I thought Marseille. you said he was Didier Drogba's replacement. That was in, the first tint for Marseille in Liga. He was Didier Drogba's replacement in Liga. Okay, so Drogba went to Chelsea. From Marseille. Marseille then signed someone to replace him. Yeah. Not as this player. Oh. 
<laughs> yeah. I, I, how did I get to Montreal? I got, oh, okay. It's, it's right. the French I connection, would, then. I get it. I, uh, did, <laughs> I was, I was thinking like, uh, uh, Manscusi, uh, but Mancuso. Uh, Mancuso, that, there you are. Deep, that That's that was that was that was on the the tip of my tongue. That's who I was trying to work out. Um, okay. Well, oh crap! And Mancuso. now we're talking about early two thousand period. Okay. Early 2013-14. Uh, played for Red French attacker. Uh, last hint, and then I'll improvise from there. Uh, no, he assisted twice in a f- to beat SKC in the first round of the playoffs. And then scored twice to knock out DCU, like a big blowout knockout playoff game. Uh, he also scored his first goal for the Red Bulls when he hadn't scored for like 20 games and Thierry Henry gave him a penalty to score. So French played the same time as Thierry Henry, New York Red Bulls, played for PSG Marseille. Didn't pay attention uh... to <laughs> You have an excuse. Harrison, maybe not. This... They played two years, 2013, two 2013. They knocked up. I don't even know. I don't even know if I could show a picture if you guys would get it. Uh, yeah, I'd probably, I, 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 well, maybe. Um, I'm trying to think of. Uh, I definitely didn't realize how much Ian carries the, the trivia. Uh, for you know, like huge <laughs> amounts. Uh, is it Louis and Dola? Yeah, Peggy Luyandula. There you go, Peggy Luyandula. We went deep. We went deep in the bag on that one, dude. Like I've, I like I've forgotten all about that, dude. That was like scratching the very back. But you of got it. The recesses of my mind. You got it, Nico's. I don't. It's not your fault for not paying attention to the 2013. Do you, Do you even know who that player is, uh, Nico's? Like, no, 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 no offense if you don't. Like, that's that's perfect. You okay, I me barely. Like... The, the last name, I still would not have gotten it. <laughs> Already. Okay. Although I probably uh, would have guessed Louis for a French first name. Nice. Okay. Uh, before we wrap up, Harrison, Nikos, anything you want to say? Any any message you want to get out? Any dying MLS takes that you need to espouse to the world? No, I think I'm good. Thank you for having me. Okay. Uh, the one thing that the one thing I have is to all the little cretins in Discord that are like, I got this on the second hint. <laughs> and you know what? Or I got it straight off. No. You know what? Uh, like, I'm fine if we want to start inviting people in from the Discord on for just trivia. I want to see them, like, absolutely flounder. I, I, I would enjoy that personally. So what yeah, so Nikos, we have a we have a Patreon Discord, and I post the trivia questions after we record, but before the episode goes up. Okay. Uh, and I, I block out the answers, and there are some whizzes in there. Every week they come back, yeah, I got six out of six. So I wish, somebody I will... mean, I wish them all the best. <laughs> all righty. Uh, well, I, I, as as I mentioned, <laughs> I will plug the Patreon Discord as Ian does. I don't remember exactly how he says it, but our server costs are rising, and uh, we like to give you free stuff. So if you would like to support, that is one way you can. You can look up the American Soccer Analysis uh, Patreon. There's one tier, $5 a month, gets you to the Discord. You can ask questions in there. Uh, there are people making site requests today, which I think is quite cool. Um, other than that, Nikos, thanks for hopping on. Uh, Harrison, thank you for being here. And Ian, feel better. We will talk to you all soon. Uh, take care, everybody.